Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks, and welcome to episode 20 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, I'm talking about my summer treatments for varroa control and chronic bee paralysis virus. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome once again to my weekly podcast, and my thanks to those of you listening via the Patreon page. I really do appreciate your support. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a support page where you can help me create more content by signing up to one of my reward tiers, and in return you gain access to additional content and support from me. They start from as little as $1 per month, so I believe that with the regular quality content I'm producing, $1 represents excellent value for money. If you've not yet started beekeeping and you're looking for help and assistance, pop over to my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk forward slash get started and I'll do all I can to help out with suggestions and recommendations for you. As usual, I'll leave any relevant links for this week's podcast in the show notes. So this week I wanted to just chat about treating my bees this summer for the varroa mite and in the second part of the podcast talk about a worrying viral infection that one of my colonies has picked up and that's chronic bee paralysis virus. I was out hosting a beekeeping experience day last weekend. A couple of new beekeepers had joined me to learn some of the basics before taking the plunge and getting their own bees. Which reminds me, if you know someone who might like a surprise beekeeping gift, do drop me a message for details of one of my one-to-one or group beekeeping sessions. Anyway, I was demonstrating how to use an uncapping fork to check drone brood. That's the boys for those of you who are still unsure. I wanted to see if I could spot any of the varroa mites in the cells. The process is fairly straightforward but a little brutal, so if you're listening while you're eating your lunch it may be worth pausing or putting down your sandwich. Anyway, firstly you need to find some drone brood, ideally around 100 capped cells in a single block. It just makes it easier that way, I find. The age of the drone brood is important too. Somewhere around 14 to 18 days is good, any younger, and it tends to just end up in a mess. Ideally, you want to have brood that's been capped for a few days. Firstly, shake all the bees off the frame and push the uncapping fork at a slight angle down through into the cells and across five or six rows of drone brood. If you then lever the handle upwards in a smooth, continuous movement, you'll tear open the cells and lift the pupa out of the cells. If you continue to lift the handle and turn it over, you'll reveal the base of the drone brood and this is where you're likely to see any varroa mites that have been living and reproducing in the cells. If you do this for approximately 100 drone cells and count the varroa that you see, it will give you a total percentage. So for instance, last weekend, after demonstrating the method, I found 4 varroa mites giving me a total of 4 out of 100, which is 4%. If you then use the National Bee Unit website varroa calculator, it will give you an estimate of the total number of varroa in your colony and whether you should consider treating them or not. For me, 4% uh, in this colony is, is okay. I'll probably treat them in a few weeks. So what am I going to treat them with? It's the summer and some of us are lucky enough to have a nectar flow on and so we've got supers on our hives. 
And here in the UK, there are strict rules about the types of treatment you can use while you have honey supers on your hives. And it is quite limiting. Firstly, uh, if you prefer, as I do, you could adopt a mechanical method. And this is a fairly straightforward method of trapping some of the varroa mites in more drone brood. So what I do is I pop a super frame into the brood box. So there's a void beneath the frame. The bees will then draw out the comb on this and pretty much all of the time it will be drone brood. Next, allow the bees to cap the cells and once they're capped, remove the frame and cut off the drone brood from the lower edge of that frame, thus removing a fair proportion of varroa mites that you have now sealed inside those cells. Other options include mitoway quick strips. This is a formic acid treatment which can be used while there are honey supers on the hive. It has the added bonus of being just a seven-day treatment too, which is a real bonus, as the other treatments tend to be for several weeks. A word of caution, though. Up until this year, I've never had a problem with Mitoway Quick Strips, or Max, as they're known, but this year I've had a couple of queens abscond, and one or two have also been superseded, I think. So I think you just need to be a little bit cautious about how you use it. My preference now is to use the mechanical method if the situation calls for immediate action, but otherwise I'll wait until I split them for increase or queen rearing and then use Apitraz, which is a strip that hangs in the hive for six weeks and has the active ingredient of Amitraz. I used it last year in the autumn to good effect. There is another Amitraz product out there called Apivar. Again, I used this last year to good effect as well. Whatever you do, make sure you do something rather than leaving them alone. Varroa mites can multiply very quickly in the summer months and cause your colonies to crash very rapidly. And that brings me on to the sad story of one of my colonies, which has suddenly become infected with CBPV, or chronic bee paralysis virus. And it seems there's not a great deal to be done for them, really. I've checked out quite a lot of scientific research, and although... There is plenty of research out there on identifying CBPV. There doesn't appear to be a great deal of practical help for beekeepers in how you can help your bees survive the infection. So here's what I've found out in my limited amount of research and what I intend to do with this colony. CBPV, or chronic bee paralysis virus, is one of around a dozen different viruses that can affect the honeybee. It's known technically as a single-strand RNA virus, and it just seems to pop up in colonies with no apparent obvious route of infection. It seems viral infections of honeybees are probably the least understood of all the honeybee diseases, but CBPV is both infectious and contagious, and once it takes hold, just seems to spread throughout the hive, ultimately causing the collapse and death of the colony. The first opportunity we as beekeepers get to see that something is wrong could well be the end stage of the infection, when many bees are dying and dropping onto the ground outside the hive, in what can be mistaken as a poisoning event, especially if you're near farmland and you see the farmers spraying their crops. Well, it's not always down to the farmer, as we'll see. CBPV has two types, or syndromes described, which give very obvious visual clues as to what's going on. Type 1 syndrome is seen when the bees start shaking or trembling their wings. They can also tremble their bodies. It's not to be confused with the waggle dance, 
and once you've seen it, you can tell the difference straight away. Type 2 syndrome is the one where the bees become hairless. They look darker than normal, and if you have dark bees already, they take on an almost black appearance. If you catch the light on them, they look shiny, almost greasy or wet looking really. Some of the research papers I've read while researching for this podcast suggest that if you watch the bees closely, you will see healthy workers nibbling at the sickly bees. I've not stopped long enough to observe this, I'm sure it happens, but I do know that the result is a pile of dead bees on the ground outside the hive within a few days, and the colony is lost within a very short period of time. In terms of transmission between bees, it appears that the scientific community have currently no exact answer, but do know that bees in confined spaces pass the virus to each other. So at this time of the year, where colonies are growing to their largest populations in confined hives, there's a greater chance of sickly bees rubbing up against healthy bees and passing on the virus. It's a bit like the flu virus on a London underground at rush hour. No escape for anybody standing next to that coughing and sneezing chap who's by the exit door. You just know that within a few days you're going to have the symptoms. Given that bees in confinement seem to spread the disease most quickly, I was tempted to split the colony, but then thought that that would probably just propagate the problem, so I'm really not sure what to do. They certainly have what I would call enough room, a couple of supers on to allow them to expand, so I don't think it's being confined in a tight space, more something to do with their daily communal activities, and that's really worrying. So the bad news currently for beekeepers is that once the visual signs are apparent, it's almost too late to do anything about it. And currently, we don't really seem to have anything that we can do anyway. I know it's not easy to describe on a podcast what to look out for, but as I said, one of my colonies has fallen victim to CBPV, and I'm going to post a video showing how that colony looks, what the symptoms are to look out for, on individual bees so that you can hopefully keep an eye out for it and my misfortune will allow you to see what the disease actually looks like. There's also evidence to suggest that the virus is found in the bees feces and as workers go about their cleaning duties within the hive they're also picking up the virus through this route. So a dirty hive is likely to more easily spread the infection. Another reason why you should maintain good hygiene and keep your hives as clean as possible In this instance, I had performed a spring clean on this colony, so I'd replaced the floor, the brood box, and the crown board, and I did this in May, so there wasn't likely to be any affected material left in the colony. The virus multiplies to incredible numbers, though, so a single bee can be victim of many millions of viral strands, if that's the right way to describe them. It seems to develop all over the place internally for our bees, so once they have the virus there doesn't appear to be much chance of them individually surviving. The infection popped up last autumn in one of my colonies and it caused that hive to die out. There had been no previous chronic bee paralysis virus in that apiary, so I have no idea where it came from. I removed the colony quickly from the apiary and cleaned it out by scraping and scorching the hive and boiling the frames. All of the wax was rendered down and I'm assuming that that would be enough to kill the virus, but I'm not sure. More research on my part is required. All of my hives are kept in staggered rows, entrances facing different ways with plenty of room between the hives, so drifting shouldn't be a problem. 
my thoughts turned to maybe drones moving between colonies, but again, I have no scientific evidence that this is the case and the vector for transmission of the disease. I like to think I'm a pretty clean beekeeper too. I wash my hive tools between individual colony inspections and wash my gloves at the same time, disposing of them at the end of the apiary inspection. But if a single infected bee can contain many millions of virus particles and I happen to have accidentally crushed one with my hive tool and then forgotten to wash it, by the time I'm inspecting the next hive, maybe I have moved the infection across. It's quite worrying, really. There are beekeepers out there with vastly more experience than me who never wash their hive tools between hive inspections and swear it doesn't matter. But I, for one, will continue to wash and reduce the perceived risk as I see it. The scientific community is not ignoring the problem, Giles Budge from Newcastle University here in the UK has set up a consortium of scientists and bee professionals to study the disease. It's good news as there is now a group of people looking specifically at chronic bee paralysis virus. What we really need is some help in answering the question of what can the practical backyard and commercial beekeeper do to help their bees fight off this infection. The CBPV consortium is looking for help. If you have the characteristic behaviour or symptoms in your hive, they would love to hear from you. I'll put their email address in the show notes for everybody, and do drop them a message if you think you have this problem. Maybe I'll be able to visit them and discuss some of their work for the podcast at some point in the future. For now, I'm going to continue to check up on this sickly colony, and do my best to prevent it spreading to the other colonies. I don't have an isolation apiary available at the moment to move the hive away, so we'll just have to sit tight and wait it out. If you've experienced chronic bee paralysis virus and can offer some insight into how you've managed it, please do get in touch. It would be great to hear from you. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. (laughs) 